produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. Hi, Dear Sugars listeners. We want to introduce you to a great podcast from WBUR, the same people who created Dear Sugars. Cheryl and Steve are all about radical empathy, accepting our own flaws and pasts, and trying to be better people in this world. And that's what our podcast, Kind World, is all about. I'm Yasmin Amr. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. And each week, we share stories that help restore your faith in humanity and reaffirm the belief that there's a lot of good in the world. If you like what you hear, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Acts of kindness can be big or small. And this week, we've got a story about how even the smallest acts of kindness can have a profound effect on someone's life. 44-year-old Jen Carson has an unusually good memory of her childhood. But then again, her childhood was unusual by any standard. It started off in a typical suburb in Phoenix, Arizona. Mom was a teacher. Dad, she says, was a hippie stay-at-home father who occasionally dealt pot. And he was incredibly attentive. He'd brush my hair and feed me breakfast every morning. He'd read to me, take me to the petting zoo. But, you know, there were always signs of problems. Her mother, Lynn Carson, knew something was wrong when her husband, James Carson, began violently threatening anyone who upset him, including her. The first few times he said it, she didn't believe him. The second few times he said it and then he got a gun. In 1979, when Jen was five years old, her parents divorced after a decade of marriage. Shortly after, James Carson remarried and changed his name to Michael Bear Carson. And then the problems got worse. Jen's first visit to her father and stepmother's house is etched in her memory. There was no furniture and no lamps. It was dark, and there were a hundred potted plants. It looked like the haunted forest in Snow White. I remember actively trying to escape this house. Jen remembers a particularly terrifying moment when her stepmother came into the room and started rubbing her back. She ended up scratching her and leaving five open wounds. She was saying things to me like, um, I'll scratch this demon out of you. It was, um, it was horrific. You remember when someone tries, is threatening to kill you, you know, and, and harms you in this way. So after that visit, I got home. My mom saw the wounds and she said, you're never going back there. Lynn took her daughter, packed up her small car in the middle of the night and hit the road, spending the next four years moving from city to city. They eventually settled in Orange County, California. She told her young daughter that they needed to be away from her father because he was sick. I was incredibly angry. So on top of my mom having no one that's believing her for five years, on top of that, she has a five, six, seven-year-old saying, I hate you, I want my daddy. Jen's life at home was tough. Her mother struggled with depression. Her life at school wasn't much better. She was behind academically and constantly got in trouble. I didn't only feel like I was a bad student. I felt like I was a bad person, that my very makeup was bad. At eight years old? Yeah. During this period, I had extreme childhood depression. At school, Jen's teacher didn't recognize her depression or cries for help. 
Instead, she constantly reprimanded her for acting out, once saying Jen was the worst student she'd ever had. That was like just throwing a match on my gasoline, you know, so my behavior then got worse throughout the rest of the year. She didn't feel safe anywhere. At home, Jen would often see police officers at her door. They'd ask about her father. She didn't know exactly why, because her mother would always send her to her room. Still, she heard bits and pieces and knew it wasn't good. By third grade, Jen was preparing herself for another difficult year. I went into the class, and I remember putting my hair in front of my eyes and putting my head down and and just not wanting to interact with the new teacher. But then that teacher, Mrs. Sylvia Case, did something Jen didn't expect. I just remember her on day one, day two, day three, saying, Jenny, I heard you're such a great reader. Why don't you come help me hold the book? That was the beginning of something new. Jen learned to love books. And over the year, she caught up academically. Mrs. Case once brought her barrettes as a prize for good grades on her spelling test. They also kept the hair out of her eyes. She also helped Jen apply for the Girl Scouts and for reduced lunch when she suspected money was tight at home, which it was. But what Jen remembers most of all were Mrs. Case's sincere and specific compliments. A lot of teachers will say, good job. She would say, your cursive letter M's look like art. And it's something I've tried to do the rest of my life because I think it is one of the kindest things you can do because you're saying to another human, I see you and I see the goodness in you. Jen really needed to hear that at the time. That year, 1983, her father was arrested for killing at least three people. But police suspect he and his new wife had at least a dozen victims. They included an aspiring actress in her early 20s with whom they shared an apartment. They stabbed her 13 times because they believed she was a witch. Their string of sensational murders earned Jen's father, Michael Bear Carson, and his wife, Suzanne Carson, the nickname the San Francisco Witch Killers. Jen never told Mrs. Case, or any adult for that matter, about any of this. She just remembers going to her class and asking for a hug. When I found out that my father was a monster who killed a bunch of people, my brain started saying, you're worthless, you're a bad girl. I kept going back to, no, Mrs. Case said I'm a good girl. And she built a resilience in me that I believe saved my life. A life that included going to college, getting a master's degree in counseling, and now working in suicide prevention. And for a long time, she's tried to contact Mrs. Case to thank her. But she was never successful. When we heard Jen's story, we also wondered what happened to Mrs. Case. With some research and luck, we found her. Turns out the two women only live around 50 miles away from each other. So we arranged for them to meet. The 84-year-old great-grandmother, Mrs. Case, now goes by Sylvia Peterson, because she was twice widowed. So we drive over to the Orange County Retirement Community, where she now lives. We're going to go see her now. This is cool. How are you feeling? I'm just ecstatic. I, I, I'm just over the moon. We pull into the driveway, and a minute later, Mrs. Peterson steps out of her house. 
Jen gets nervous. You okay? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not okay. I'm really feeling emotional. Oh my gosh. Jen finally makes it out of the car and heads in for a long hug. You're amazing. You smell the same. I do. I just have hand motion. <laughs> it must be the Good same. Good old Jerkins. Jerkins. I was about to say she always smells like Jerkins. <laughs> they step inside, sit on the couch, and waste no time catching up. Jen can't stop smiling. She takes out several things from her bag to show her former teacher. Her Girl Scout badges, pictures from her years at Teach for America, and some of the papers she saved from third grade. Many of them decorated with compliments from Sylvia. <laughs> I picked out your lowercase cursive writing. Because I was struggling so much with cursive, you were oh. finding something that was there was improvement on. Jen tells Sylvia her story about her father's arrest, about how much she and her mother were struggling the year she was in her class. And she thanks her former teacher for helping her get through the worst year of her life. I just want to thank you for giving me that gift of, of um, really knowing how to connect with people in that way, you know? Yeah. Well, I appreciate yeah. <laughs> you coming because I didn't see myself that way. No. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just something you do. You weren't just doing your job. You did it with kindness. Sylvia clearly doesn't see herself as a savior of any sort. She's probably helped many kids like Jen in her lifetime without thinking twice about it. Still, this moment feels special. I felt very, very emotional seeing her and hearing her story and just connecting with her after all these years. It's amazing what she went through and how she, what she does now. I think I'm proud of her like a daughter or granddaughter. I mean, she feels like a member of my family. After a few hours, we say our final goodbyes. Jen packs up her old pictures and papers. Sylvia tells her to come back and visit. She tells Jen she'll add her name to her visitor list at the front gate. Because, after all, she's family now. To see pictures of Jen and Sylvia's reunion, go to our website, wbur.org slash kindworld. You can find more Kind World stories on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at WBUR Kind World. And if you have a story of profound kindness, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email to kindworld at wbur.org. I'm Yasmin Ammer. Thanks for listening. Support for Dear Sugars comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com sugars today to get 10% off your first month.
The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts.